Father in heaven, we come now to this which is your word. Therefore, I pray that you would help us to listen, to hear, uh, to respond. Uh, God, in the context of our lives, there's so much dissonance. There's so much that distracts. There's so much that resists truth. So I pray that you would overcome all of that. You're the only one who can do that. I pray that you would overcome all of that right now so that we, me, we can listen uh, and hear from you and follow this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to turn to Hebrews, please, in chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read the first two verses uh, and then um, read verses 8 through 16. Verses 1 and 2 and then 8 uh, through 16. Hear the word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Um, Then verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, uh, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, there were born descendants, as many of the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, you remember that the author of Hebrews has told us that the, his righteous ones, God's righteous ones, will live by faith. So we're to live a life that's characterized by faith in God, by faith in Christ. We've been told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we're exercising faith when we haven't yet received in our immediate possession that for which we hope, and we can't see it. Faith in God means that God has made promises to us. Promises in which, for which, we hope. We desire these very things, yet all of them have yet to be placed in our immediate possession. We haven't received them all. There's still more to come, and we know that. We don't yet see all of it come to fruition. So we live by faith. That means we have, therefore, assurance, a certainty that everything for which we hope, since God has promised them, everything for which we hope will come to pass, will be in our possession someday. That which we do not presently see is reality and will see it. Right? You remember, too, that we looked at a definition of faith from the King James Version, which uh, most of us... uh, don't read, 
uh, a few of us perhaps, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, that version says, the evidence of things not seen. Thus, from that we see that faith brings up close to us, to reality, that which we don't yet see, so much so that we um, arrange our whole lives around what's promised. That what we don't see is reality to us. That we live not by sight, but rather we live by faith. Faith brings it up close and personal. So much so we look and see that which God has promised to us and say, that's real. Even though I don't see it. Even though I don't have it. We look at that and we say, that's real. That's what I'm going to arrange my life around. That's the very substance of my life. Faith is the very evidence of what has been promised. All right? Now, the author of Hebrews then goes on to give us some examples of those who have lived by faith to help flesh this out for us. And I have to confess, and this just shows you why I didn't write the Bible, um, one of the reasons. Uh, I have to confess that I wouldn't have started with Abel and Enoch. Uh, they just don't seem to be that significant. In fact, when you read in the Genesis passages about them, the word faith isn't even used. And so I, I wouldn't have started. In fact, I don't even know that I would have started with Noah. I mean, Noah, obviously a faithful man. But again, when you go back to the passages about him in the book of Genesis, the word faith isn't used. Obedience, yes. He did all the things that God commanded him to do. But it, the word faith isn't emphasized there. Obviously, he lived by faith. But, but still, that wouldn't have struck me. Now, Abraham's no surprise. It's Abraham of whom the scripture said that he believed God. And it was counted to him. As righteousness. His very faith, you see, was that which God credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. When the Apostle Paul is laying out what it means to be saved by grace through faith in the book of Romans, he cites Abraham as the example, so much so that he says that Abraham is the father of us all. Meaning that all who believe can trace their heritage back to Abraham. He's the father of all who believe. Everyone who believes God, that's everyone who believes in Christ, every Christian and every believing Old Testament Jew can trace their heritage back to Abraham as being a child of Abraham. He's the father of all. He's the father of all who believe. So Abraham's no particular uh, surprise. So the question for us this morning is the same question that we've had over the last few weeks, and that is, what is it that this man's life teaches us about faith? What can we learn from Abraham about living by faith? And this is going to take us a couple of weeks, as you might suspect, uh, to get through. I mean, read everything that the author of Hebrews has about Abraham. But today, I want to highlight a number of things, not everything, but a number of things to think about in terms of living by faith as we learn from Abraham. Because we see very First off, that Abraham, by faith, responds to God and leaves where he is and goes. You know, as we read through the book of Genesis, we, we kind of happen along Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, which really begins uh, talking about Abraham. He's mentioned at the end of 11. But in Genesis chapter 12, uh, it's almost startling, I think, at least to me, 
about Abraham. We're in the midst, in chapter 11 of Genesis, of, of kind of a list of descendants. We've become accustomed to those lists, genealogies, if you will, the begats in, uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis. And we know why. We know that God has promised that someone's going to come. A man is going to be born who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so, so, so we have lists of people, and we keep asking the question, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? We get down to where um, uh, Moses begins to list the descendants of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. He starts that in chapter 10. There's a bit of a break. And he picks it back up again in chapter 11 of Genesis. And, and he just wanders through, as you might suspect he would. Here's, here's Shem, and he has these children, and they die. And here's this one, and this one dies. And then he gets to this man, Terah. And you expect the same kind of thing. You sort of receive it. He has these sons, and his sons do this and that. And Terah dies, and so forth and so on. But then chapter 12 starts out like this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, where did that come from? You know, Abraham was just the son of Terah. You expect him to go on and say, now Abraham had a wife and they had children and Abraham died. And He didn't do that. He stops right in the middle. He picks this one up, this Abraham person. And he says, now God spoke to him. And you wonder why. And we just don't know why. He just did. Now the Lord spoke to Abraham, said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be will be blessed. Now that's amazing. That kind of a promise to a single man, a single person. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And in fact, you're going to be a blessing. Uh, and and, and, and God, God himself, God Almighty is saying, if anyone blesses you, I will bless them. If anyone curses you, I'll come against them. Uh, and, and frankly, through you, every nation, every family of the earth will be blessed. Now that's amazing. This man Abraham, the word Abraham, we think, best we can figure, means exalted father. Or the father is exalted. One of those ways of saying it. So you get the sense that for this man Abraham, fatherhood is going to be a big deal. It's going to be an important thing. But at this moment in time, at 75 years old, at this moment in time, he has no children. But yet God makes this promise to him. No children, he's older and God makes this problem that you're going to be a great nation and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The only way that can happen, it seems, is, is through descendants going out. And, and yet he has no descendants. He has no children. And so there it is, this great uh, promise of God. And we see what happens to Abraham in verse 4. Just these words very simply. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. So he obeyed. And that's what's so impressive uh, to the author of Hebrews. Uh, the way, keep your, well, you can, you can be in Hebrews or you can be in Genesis. It really doesn't matter. The author of Hebrews puts, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What an amazing thing. He didn't know where he was going. It isn't that God said, Well, you're going to go to the land of Canaan. And so uh, Abraham went in and hit www.canaan.org.com, you know, and found it. If you do that, by the way, you'll get a consulting firm. Because I thought if I was going to say that, I better do that just to make sure it's not a site that it wouldn't be appropriate. But it's a consulting firm. Um, 
but he couldn't do that. Right? He didn't, didn't know where he was going. It was different then. He didn't have an atlas. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have books about what the next place over was or how far it was going to be or any of that. God says, just go. And so what impresses the author of Hebrews, what says Abram lived by faith was that he went. Even though he didn't know where he was going, he simply responded to the call of God. And you see, that's it. That's the, the first thing about faith. It always responds to God's call. God's calling initiates our faith. It initiates this response of faith. God's call is so strong because it's from God that we follow. It works in us, the following of it. But faith follows after God. It follows God's call. We don't really know anything, or much at least, about Abraham's upbringing or beginnings. All we know is that his father, Terah, his family, uh, was not followers of God. For instance, Joshua gives us just a little hint in Joshua chapter 24 about Abraham. He says, Verse 2, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abraham, who became Abraham, Abraham wasn't raised in a home that honored God. He didn't know any of that. Until all of a sudden, one day, God plucks him out, chooses him, takes him, and says, this is what I'm going to do in the context of your life. It was the call of God that brought Abraham to faith and caused him, therefore, to go to live by faith. And it was by faith because it was in response to God's word. It wasn't for something that he, he saw. The promise was great. Must have welled within with tremendous hope. I have no children. He says I'm going to be a great nation. And, and all of this about being a blessing to all the nations of the world and all of that sort of thing. And so there he is with all of that. And this great hope. He says, all right, I'll go out and I'll follow, uh, I'll follow after God. And, and we can see what this meant for him. It meant that he had to leave all of that life behind. He left all of that pre-God life behind. We, we see it very visually. I mean, he, geographic move. He, he gets his stuff. He gets his family, wife and his nephew, and they leave. And so he leaves it all behind. Uh, he leaves the memories. leaves the opportunities. He leaves the way of life. He leaves the thought processes that were there following those other gods now to go and follow this, the God who has called him. Uh, he leaves all that behind to march out and follow after God. Because you see, faith not only trusts God, rests in his word, but lives consistent with that faith. That is, faith trusts and lives, therefore, faithfully. It would have been really, really strange, wouldn't it? If, if, if the author of Hebrews says that God called Abraham and lived by faith, yet Abraham didn't go. No, that wouldn't be living by faith at all. 
If it would be living by faith, it wouldn't be living by faith in God. It would be living by faith in the other gods. It would be living by faith in the old ways. It would be living in, in faith that the way of his father was better than his way of God. And, 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 and so that wouldn't be commendable. That wouldn't have made the Bible. That wouldn't have made Hebrews chapter 11. Um, but he said he believed God and he went. He followed. He turned his back on all of that other stuff. And he didn't know where he was going. didn't know where he was heading. That's faith. The other night, in our first week of Before You Say I Do, second week, I guess, well, we had the other night with uh, 18 couples. Love is in the air again. Uh, and, um, and, and, and this was the night where we kind of lay out the intro. We lay out the nitty-gritty of, of what it means to enter into this marriage relationship. Because the truth of the matter is that they don't have a clue. Because the truth of the matter is none of us had a clue. We were married. What we were getting into, we thought we did. We played some scenarios. We had some expectations. We had some models. We're thinking about it. But as I've always said, the truth of the matter is that when you're saying your vows, for better or for worse, you're thinking better. For richer or for poor, you're thinking richer. Uh, Sickness and health, you're thinking health. All right? That's the scenario that's really in your mind, no matter what anybody else is, is telling you. And so we began to talk about what it means to enter into a marriage relationship, to leave the band one's father and mother and be united to cleave to one's wife and therefore, in a good way, be stuck uh, cleaved as you now are together for the rest of your life, no matter what. And you don't know what that what is going to be. You really don't. And And again, I can say that because looking back some decades now of marriage, I didn't expect this. I mean, I didn't expect to be a pastor. I didn't expect to live in Kansas. I didn't expect, you know, I didn't expect all this. I didn't expect to have gray hair. Uh, But here we are. What do you expect? It's faith. You don't see where you're going, really. Some sense of it, but you don't see where you're going. In fact, even as I mentioned the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that in these people of faith uh, about which the author of Hebrews writes, we realize they all live by faith, but their lives were quite different. Remember, I, I mentioned that Abel lived by faith and got killed. Enoch lived by faith and never died. Noah lived by faith and everybody else died. Right? Abraham lives by faith. What would his life be. God called him. He says, I want you to leave all of this behind. I want you to go. And that's the point. You see, faith means that we follow God. That we leave behind all the pre-God and move on with him. There are verses that I read to you often. I read to myself very often, more often than I read them to you. To remind myself of what this means to follow after God. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. From the lips of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. No different than for Abraham. God called Abraham, he said, I want you to leave all this pre-God behind. I want you to leave all that serving other gods behind. I want you to leave behind all that you've learned from your father about that. And to demonstrate that I want to pick you up and I want you to move you geographically away from all of that. You don't know where I'm taking you, but I'm making this promise to you about life. 
And I want you to go. I want you to leave it and go. And Jesus is doing the same. When he called his disciples, he says, come and follow me. Now, that implies trust me, doesn't it? That implies believe in me. But it means, because you trust me, now come on with me. Really trust me. Trust me. Walk with me. Take these steps with me. Uh, Follow me where I'm going. And what that means is, you're going to have to leave behind where you are to come and follow me. And he's saying that to us. And so Jesus puts it dramatically here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That is, if you want to follow me, then you have to leave yourself behind. You have to leave your ambitions and all of that. You have to leave your own thinking. You have to leave your own values. You have to leave all of that behind. See, deny yourself. Deny those things to you and follow me. Take on yourself my values, my ways, my thoughts. So I want you to take up your cross. And Luke puts it very helpfully, daily. This isn't just a one-time deal. He says, this is an all-the-time kind of thing. Those of us who've walked with Christ a long time know that it is a daily thing. It's an everyday thing. We haven't left left. We're leaving all the time. You see, We're repenting all the time. So I want you to take up your cross daily. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that when Jesus talked about crosses, he meant death. He didn't mean just something difficult. He meant death. On a cross, people died. So I want you to put all of that to death. All that, in a sense, for Abraham, it would have been, you know, all the stuff you're leaving of your father's world. I want you to kill it so that it doesn't, doesn't exist for you anymore. I want you to leave it. Go away from it. Leave it and start anew. I want you to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you want to... To, to, to save your life, you want to hold on to all that. Abraham, if you want to stay back and not follow me, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your life. If you stay back living with your father, stay back living in the old hometown, then, and not follow me, you're going to lose it all. If you want to save that, you'll lose everything that I'm promising you. But if you want all that I'm promising you, that life, then, You'll lose all of that. And then he goes on to say these words that I never get out of my mind. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What what value is it? What do you get at the end if you get everything that the world has to offer, but yet your soul is gone, you've lost your life? He says, Abram, what would it be like if you stayed back with your dad, if you stayed back with your family, if you stayed back with all of that and got everything that that world can give you, everything right there? You've got to understand, the place that he was leaving was a very prosperous place, it appears. He says, but if you get everything there, ah, you still have lost everything else. And everything else is what's valuable. You have lost everything that I'm promising you. It's an amazing thing. Some of us know those costs. Some of us know what that's like uh, to follow Jesus. Later in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, Jesus puts it like this. He said, And they were going along the road. When they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He went to follow me. I don't know what that is. Anybody know what that funny one is? It's okay. Just leave that behind. Come with me. Right. What is it? Huh? Okay. 
a woodpecker. Well, that's cool. <sighs> May God mute him for all of us. <clears throat> Jesus says, you want to follow me? I don't have a place to sleep tonight. You want to go? I don't have a place to sleep tonight. I don't know where it is that I'm going to lay my head. I have no reservations. I've got no home. I've got no bed. So where is it do you think I'm going to take you? I I can tell you this. We don't have a place to sleep tonight. Will you come after me? Then he goes on to say, follow me. But another said, Lord, let us first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. He says, listen, if you want to follow me, and he's saying this in these last two most especially, very dramatically. So he's using very dramatic language here to make his point. He's saying, what I want you to know is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't go back there. There's death there. Come with me. Luke chapter 14, more dramatically yet. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and uh, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not... While the others is yet great, uh, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has can't be my disciple. It's no different than what Abraham did. He left it all. He renounced it all. He said, I'm going to leave all of this behind. And I'm only going to take with me that which can trail after Jesus, that which can follow after him. And he left it all behind. And he's saying the same to us. And by that, of course, he isn't saying literally to hate your mom and dad. But he's saying, listen, I want you to know that nothing should come between you and me. Nothing should come between you following me, uh, my command to you to follow me, and you actually following me. Nothing should come between that. And I don't want you to love your father and mother just because it's your idea. I'm going to command you to love your father and mother, and therefore you'll love your father and mother because you're following me. You're going to love your husband and wife because you're following me. Not your idea. Renounce everything you think about your mom and dad and love them as I will call you to love them. Forget everything you understand about, uh, about uh, your husband or wife and love them the way that I'm going to call you to love them. Renounce all your own ideas. Renounce all of that and come and follow after me. Trust in none of that. Trust in me alone. You see, we're renouncing all the time. You say, well, what is it that I would renounce in order to, to follow Jesus? Let me read you some things. Let me read you some of the things that will change 
Uh, it'll change how you view morality. You must leave behind immoral thoughts and behaviors and be pure in thought. If you're married, you must leave behind your views of what a husband and wife is and leave as God calls you. If your marriage is difficult, you must leave behind your idea that divorce is the option if there are no biblical grounds for it and follow Christ. If you're a scientist, you leave behind ideas that human beings have simply evolved for by faith we believe that God created the universe. If you're a racist, you must believe... Uh, you must uh, leave behind your racism and realize that all are created in the image of God. If you're a chauvinist, you must believe, leave behind your sexist views and realize that in Christ there is no male and female. If your life is defined by your own sexual orientation, you must leave that behind and define yourself, your sexual orientation as God does. If you're a liar, you must leave behind your lies and tell the truth. If you're a thief... You must leave behind your stealing and work that you may give to others. If you're lazy, you must leave behind all that um, reflects your laziness so that you may reflect your Heavenly Father who calls you to take dominion over the earth. If you're prideful, you must leave such thoughts of your own competence behind and humble yourself before God and trust His wisdom and strength. If you're selfish, you must leave behind... uh, all of that, and put the interest of others ahead of your own. If you're angry, you must leave behind your anger and be self-controlled. If you hate, you must leave behind your hatred and love. If you're unsympathetic to the needs of others, you must leave your lack of sympathy behind and be compassionate. If you're unjust, you must leave your injustice behind and leave a life of justice. If you complain, And you need to leave your complaining behind and be content where you find yourself. If you're bitter towards others, you must leave behind your bitterness and forgive. You see that. You get that. He calls us to follow him, to go after him, to put to death all that's not true of him and follow him. But what's amazing about all this as well is that even after Abram left all of that behind and he got to this place where God was taking him, he was still a stranger. He began to realize this isn't quite it either. God's given me a vision, a picture that's bigger than even what I'm seeing here. And he lived as a stranger, an alien in that particular place. Notice how uh, the author of Hebrews puts it in verse 9. He says, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So even there, he was, it was as if he was a, a foreigner in that place. He lived in a tent. Not even in a permanent dwelling. In fact, Abraham didn't own anything in this new land until his wife Sarah died, and he bought a cave. So he could bury her. And that was all he ever owned. Of this land that was promised to him as his. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received all the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. And so he lived in this place as a stranger, as an alien. And of course the scripture says that's precisely how we live uh, in this world. Uh, Peter puts it like this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in various places. He's saying, listen, for those who are elect, those who are chosen by God, like Abraham was, plucked out and called to follow Christ. Uh, You're exiles in this place. This isn't quite home yet. Oh, you've left behind all that, hopefully, 
and leaving behind all that is not consistent with following after Christ. But he said, you're still not home yet. There's still something more. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 11, Peter puts it like this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Paul writes to the church in Philippi that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You see, we're not home yet, not even in our own souls. There's a war going on there. A part of our souls, we've left all this behind and still yet this sin that resides in us is conflicting with all that, trying to pull us back. And we don't feel yet at home. We know the promise of God, the promise of God. A day will come when we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. And yet when we get up in the morning and take a couple of steps, we realize that's not yet. Oh, we see some of it, but not all of it. And it's not quite home. Even in the context of our bodies, we understand what we've been promised in the context of our bodies. We've been promised imperishable bodies. But it only takes me about a minute and a half on the treadmill that I realize my body isn't imperishable. It's almost to perish at that moment. It doesn't take long at all. Right? An illness. Sickness, disease, discouragement, depression. Death, we know the promise of Jesus and the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. It's that even though he dies thing that reminds me that I'm not quite there. Because I've been promised a world that's different than this one. When I look at this one, I see poverty and I see injustice and I see hatred and I see war and I see all kinds of difficulties and I realize this isn't it. This isn't the world that we've been been promised. We've been promised a world that looks like this. John sees it. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And we get up and we look at the newspaper, we read the news, we walk around, we see, we go, this isn't it. This isn't it yet. And just like with all those who preceded us, we see from afar that which God has brought. We say, that's reality. That's where my heart is. I'm not embedded here. And what was that old gospel tune? This world is not my home. <laughs> I'm just a passing through. I apologize for putting that in your head. If you know that tune, you'll be singing it all afternoon to the beat of the woodpecker. <laughs> but that's true, you see. We know that that's true. Now, how did Abraham continue on? How did he persevere in the midst of that? Because you see, when he got to this land, not only had he followed God not knowing where he's going, and when he got there, not, he still was a foreigner in that particular land. And not only that, given all that God had promised him, he still had no kids. And so God meets him again, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. The exchange between God and Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God reiterates the promise. He says, Abraham, this is going to be your child. He takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. There'll be that many. And we know Abraham didn't quite get it because when Abraham's wife Sarah came to him sometime later and said, you know, we're not having this child, it doesn't appear, so take my slave girl, Hagar, uh, and, and be with her so that she will conceive this heir, she will conceive this child for you. And so all that took place. But of course that wasn't the heir, that wasn't the one. And so then God comes to Abram again in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, 24 years have gone by. Don't skip that. What's taken place in your life in 24 years. Where were you 24? How long? That's a long time to be promised, to be walking around with a name that says the, the exalted father and you have no children. And God has given you a problem. You're going to have a, a great nation and all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants and so forth. And none of that's taken place. It's been, been a quarter of a century there you are, so God comes to him again. You've tried that in your own way, and that didn't work. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Now, God is just sort of compounding this whole thing. The exalted father, all right, but now father of multitudes of many nations, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I'll establish my covenant with you. And then he goes on to tell him that this, this heir will come from Sarah. She, and Abraham initially laughs about that, because he knew that she was past childbearing years. And so when Sarah overhears all about this, she laughs as well. In fact, the scripture says in chapter 18 of Genesis, uh, uh, verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? He said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I love it how that version puts it. Um, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I wonder if at that moment in time, Abraham went back to the stars. He said, oh yeah, the stars. That was the promise, wasn't it? The stars was the promise. He said, look at the stars, count them. I couldn't. 
But you know, there's a funny thing about stars. How do they get there? Oh, God made stars. Perhaps if he can make stars, he can make children even out of old men and old women. Maybe nothing is too hard for him. Notice how the author of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews in chapter 11. By faith Sarah herself received, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age and she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abel lived by faith and was killed. Enoch lived by faith and never died. Noah lived by faith and everybody else died. Abraham lived by faith and life came from one who was as dead. Is anything too hard for God? And you may ask the question about your own life and your own faith. What sustains it? What enabled Abraham, Abraham to wait all those years? He got anxious from time to time, got confused from time to time. But what enabled him to wait all those years? Was it because there was a day when God lifted his chin and said, look up. Take your eyes off of you. Take your eyes off the world in which you live. Take your eyes off of all of that. And think of me. Consider me the maker of the stars. The maker of the promise. In his kindness to us, the Lord says the very same thing to sustain our faith. He says, all right, I want you to take your eyes off of, off of the life that you see. I want you to put your eyes upon my promises. And I want you to take you back that you may fix your eyes upon Jesus. And to realize again <clears throat> that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. In the same way he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. That is, he says, I want you to think about me. I want you to, to, to have moments in your life, these times of communion, when you focus upon me in this way. And I want you to consider my life. I want you to think about me. I want you to, to think about me. I want you to touch it, this, these elements, I want you to smell them, I want you to taste them, I want your full attention to be on me, and think this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All what things? 
all those things he's promised. Like you being conformed to the image of Christ. Maybe even more miraculously, your husband being conformed to the image of Christ. Or your wife, or your children who believe. Eternal life, a body that won't break down, that won't tragically cease to exist in terms of its physical breathing and aliveness, that won't wear out. He's promised that. A world where there is no poverty, where there is no injustice, where there are no tears, where there is no sadness, where there is no loneliness, where there is no hurt, where there is no war, where there is no anger. And you say, I I don't know if I can sustain that. Abraham did. How? How did he sustain leaving all that behind? Because he had heard God, trusted him and left and went, left it all behind. Said, no, where God is taking me is better. So even in this life, we leave behind because God's word is better. Where God is taking us is better. Right? His orientation from others is better than mine. His thoughts are better than mine. His ways are better than mine. I'll follow after him even now. And even though I feel an alien, I feel a stranger, I don't feel like this is home, but there are things that are so contrary to who I am in Christ that I wonder how can I ever fit in this particular place. He says, trust me, walk through it. Trust me. Look up. Remember. Jesus has come. He didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Do you think that now he'll also graciously give us everything? I mean, there was Abram looking at the stars. God said, trust me, I made those stars. Surely I can give you and Sarah a child. Trust me. I sent Jesus. Trust me. Follow me. Long for me. Keep looking past all this. Because that day is real. And that day will come. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me and for us that we wouldn't give up hope, that we would continue to persevere. And all of that because of Jesus, his work in us and our sight of him. Even around this table. So I pray that you would take this bread, take this juice, and you would use it in such a way that would enable us to remember Jesus. I pray that its feel, its taste, its touch, its smell, everything about it would focus our attention upon him in these moments so that our faith would be increased and we'd think, yes, of course, if God has been faithful to send Jesus, he's trustworthy. I can follow him. Everything he promised will come to pass. Oh God, work that in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I remind you that this table is not the table of Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in his sight without hope except in his sovereign mercy, and all those who receive and depend upon Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel that is freely as the Savior of sinners. It's his calling Our response in faith 
And we leave behind everything else we've trusted. And we take after Him. That's true for you. And this table is for you. And I would invite these two sections to come down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the cup. And there's a little expression in this whole passage that I didn't get to. But it's the capstone of it all. Where of Abraham and all those who died in faith, God says, I will not be ashamed to be called their God. Meaning, I'll be quite happy to be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Bill. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and think, God's happy to be my God. Please come. The response to our benediction this morning is to sing uh, the doxology. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. And together let us sing.